so much, Mr. Eric. Again, it's good to be with you guys today. I'm going to step on this and break something. Uh, so I'm going to set this over here. I invite you guys to pray with me as we dive into our scripture and our message today. God, you're good. Lord God, uh, you are still risen from the dead, Lord. And uh, as our kids are going to be learning uh, in Sunday school, Lord, we're going to be reflecting on today of what that means for each of us. Lord, and what new life looks like post-resurrection for the church. Lord, I pray that you use this time to speak, to shape, to mold us. Lord, to better understand uh, how you are working uh, for us and for the world. We say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Okay, guys, it is good to be with you today. We'll see if I can take control. Give it a second. There we go. We are in a new sermon series called New Life. And we're going to be looking post-resurrection, what new life looks like for the, congr- uh, for the church. And in different areas of our life, in, in community, in relationship, into eternity. And AJ put together this sermon series, uh, which was great because it allowed me to take a breath. But, but I love how he framed it. Uh, and one of the texts that he chose was from Acts chapter 2, the reading that Eric just read. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come clean with you guys. Acts chapter 2. Uh, is a hard text for me to read because I I look at what God did through the early church in that snapshot, and I I don't always see that reflected in my own leading of a congregation. So I'm not putting this on you guys, right? But I read Acts chapter 2, right? And I'm like, man, the apostles must have just slayed every single sermon, right? Could you imagine, like, hearing a sermon from, like, Paul or Peter and be like, yeah, that's awesome. And that's what I want to do, right? Every time I come up here, I want to knock it out of the park. And, guys, sometimes I'm lucky if I even get a single, right? Uh, And that's all of us. But the more I reflected on Acts chapter 2, the more I realized Acts chapter 2 is really just an Instagram picture of a vacation. How many of you guys post pictures of your vacation on Instagram or on Facebook? How many of you do that? I know Eric and I do that regularly, right? Now, when we pick the pictures we're going to post, uh, do we pick the pictures where we're all arguing, right? Do, do we pick the pictures where, like, someone had just thrown up on the car ride, right? Or, or the pictures where, like, we literally had stared daggers at each other for hours on end, and then we're like, oh, oh this is a really nice scene. We should, we should put a smile on our faces, Right? I, I was talking to a member of our congregation a couple weeks ago, and she was talking about a Thanksgiving picture that they had actually hired a photographer for. And they're out at Brushy Creek, and it's just beautiful, right? And they got this amazing picture, but there's another picture. Uh, and the other picture is, like, the dog is, like, clawing at their face and, like, someone shouting at someone else. And so she has both of them, but guess which one went on the Christmas cards, right? Th- that's essentially what Acts chapter 2 is. We get a snapshot of of the highlights of what it can look like to be church. But then you read through the rest of the book of Acts, and it actually looks a lot more like Acts Church Leander, where it's messy and it's broken, and it's a bunch of people who are trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus, this this man who claimed he was God, who came back to life, like, yes, this is the Messiah, but they still got all their baggage. And so they argue, and they're petty, they're confused and they're tribal, right? Is, it, is, 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 the message for, is the message for Jews or is the message for the whole world? And what is that like? And what food can we eat? And this food kind of smells funny, so I don't want to do, right? Just constantly, the church is working itself out. So Acts chapter 2 is not, this is what the day-to-day looks like 
Instead, it, it, it's the Instagram highlight. And, and that's good because that's our congregation. That's your pastor. That's your kids. That, that's the person that you see in the mirror every morning. And that, that's good news. And that's not just in Acts chapter 2. In fact, if you look at Jesus' first apostles, so if you want to go with me, uh, in the Bibles we've got, that's going to be on 1243, I just want to read through the list of the original apostles and, and highlight some of them. So Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. So he gives them power. He's like, hey, if you're following me, the student will be like the master. I'm giving you power to change the world. But then look at these names. These are the names of the 12 apostles. So first, there is Simon, who is called Peter. All right, we're going to pause here. We talked about Peter last week, right? Peter was a bit of a spitfire. He was a bit of a hothead. Peter was either all in or he was backing off really quick. Peter literally chopped off the ear of a dude. He was so upset. And Jesus had to literally heal the man, like fix Peter's brokenness. Peter's got some anger issues that are going on. Okay. Uh, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas. Thomas is an interesting one. We call him Doubting Thomas, but that's actually not a great name for Thomas. For the most part, he wasn't doubting. Thomas was Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Right? Everything Eeyore, like the lens that he saw the whole world, wasn't like the glass wasn't half empty. He assumed the glass had like a hole in it and was like draining slowly. That's Thomas. Thomas walks with Jesus. He follows Jesus, but the whole time, one of my favorite stories is with Lazarus. And Lazarus has died. And Jesus tells his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and things are starting to get hot for Jesus. He's like, we're going to go there. And Thomas's response is, let's go with Jesus where we're probably going to die. Right? Like, that's his default mode, right? Thomas is not just the happy guy. Right? And Matthew, the tax collector, whoo! Y'all, tax collectors were like glorified thugs. They were used by the Roman government to show up at people's door, knock on their door, say, hey, you, you owe X amount in taxes to the government, and then I'm going to take my own little personal tax. And if you didn't pay them, they'd come back with the centurions, they'd start breaking bones, they'd throw you in prison. Tax collectors were the worst of the worst. Continuing on, James and Theodius, Simon the Zealot. <laughs> you know what a zealot was? Zealot was a literal terrorist. Zealots were uh, uh, Jewish citizens who were so sick of what the Roman government was doing, they were willing to do guerrilla warfare against the government. Literal terrorist, right? We don't want you here, and we will do any means to get you out. Oh, and then we'll just wrap it up with Judas, right? This is the initial group, right? This is the ragtag. This is the island of misfit toys and outcasts. And that doesn't include all the women that Jesus brings along. We talked about Mary a lot over Easter, possessed by demons. Mary is the lady you see under the underpass muttering to herself. This is who Jesus decides to make the first Christian community with. And from these people, the good news in the gospel is passed on from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the generation of Acts Church Leander 2023. God used those type of people, broken, outcast,
confused to bring change to the entire world. And that's good news for our congregation. So how does he do that? Well, we see this in Acts chapter 1. Jesus made a promise that it's not going to be this group of outcasts by themselves that are going to do that, but instead you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even North Austin, Leander, Texas. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to be the game changer. The Holy Spirit is going to be the thing that helps shape us and mold us and becomes the critical component, the critical person that allows us as Christians to move beyond our own island of misfit toys into the blessing of what God is doing for community, right? And this is important, the critical person needed. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit and, like, God the Father makes sense to us, right? All of us have fathers, we, we see parents, we know what a father is, and then Jesus is the hero of the story. We, we like heroes, I certainly like superheroes, right? So we know what a hero is, but then we get to the Holy Spirit and, and it's kind of amorphous, so I'm like, I don't know, is this like the force, right? Like Star Wars, like the, the light side, and that's going to help me? But that's not a person, right? That, that, that's a power. But what we see in Scripture is, no, the Holy Spirit is a person, and he's a person that works in a specific way. And this is Old Testament, this is New Testament. The Old Testament talks about it this way, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit inside of you. I will remove from you your old heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. A good way to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Old Testament God kept trying to fix the externals. Right? He kept setting his people up for success. He puts them in the garden. He sets them up for success, and we sin. Then he calls out Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you my own people. Israel, those who wrestle with me, but I'm going to set you up for success, and we continue to sin. Over and over and over again, the history of the Old Testament is humans breaking covenant, breaking our relationship with God, and God coming in and fixing the external things. But none of that works. And so he says in the Old Testament, we're going to try something new. Instead of fixing the externals, we're going to fix the internals. And I, I'm going to work on you on the inside, and from the inside out, you are going to go and, and change the world. And the Holy Spirit is how he's going to do that. It was always God's ultimate plan to bring new life, to bring the good news of Jesus, the good news of a God who fights for his people, Right? And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. It's the work of the Spirit that starts to change. So we're going to read through, not all of, we're going to kind of do a highlight reel of Acts chapter 2 and how this works. So if you do want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be staying here for the rest. That's on page 1384. And it starts with this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole tongue, where the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All right, what we're seeing here, Pentecost literally means 50 days. So typically we would celebrate Pentecost seven weeks after the resurrection. So 50 days after Jesus is resurrected, Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit shows up. And it shows up as a tongue because the Holy Spirit is all about speaking. The Holy Spirit is all about the word of God. In fact, we actually see the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1. It says the Spirit of God hovered over the formless land and it starts speaking. And as the Holy Spirit speaks, God's story starts to be told. And that's what I want you guys to think about when you think about the Holy Spirit. It is the storyteller, it is the narrator of God's story. And a narrator doesn't tell their own story for the most part, right? Unless it's a first-person story, a narrator tells someone else's story. And yet they are a person, and they have intention. And that's what we have in the Holy Spirit. Now think about this, right? So if a narrator tells you that the sky is blue, what color is the sky? Blue, right? Whatever the narrator tells you is the fact in the story, and that's what happens in Scripture, right? So how does our story begin? In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks life into existence. He speaks creation into uh, existence. God the Father is the author of the story. Jesus is the ultimate hero of the story. He's the main protagonist, and the Holy Spirit is the narrator of the story. And why is this so important with the gospel, then? Why is this so important for the church? Because what it means is that when that Holy Spirit comes inside of you, God narrates his story through you. See, that's where the power comes from. That's where the change comes from. Because if we are in tune with the Spirit, if we are in tune with the with what he's saying to us, when we pray, that's where power comes from. Because it's not our will, but his will being done, and whatever the Holy Spirit says happens. When we're in sync with God, when we're telling his story, that's where our power comes from. And so when we talk about speaking in tongues, that, that's really what's happening here. And don't get me wrong, there is a supernatural aspect to speaking in tongues. We're going to see that in just a minute, where they start speaking in different languages. But what's the point of them speaking in different languages? It allows the individual hearers to hear God's good news, the gospel, in their own language. And that's what happens as we read through Acts chapter 2. Now they were staying, verse 5, in Jerusalem... God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This was the temple, the festival of the feasts. So this was a big festival in Jerusalem. And so people had come from all over the world. The Jewish people who were living in Rome or who were living in Philippi, they would come and they would gather. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed... They asked, aren't these, uh, uh, aren't these all speaking Galileans? Then how is it they, that each of us hears them in our own native language? The first thing the Holy Spirit does is he gives the church the ability 
to interpret God's gospel into the language individuals need to hear. And this is huge. Because it means that it's not on the apostles, it's not on Peter, it's not on Paul, it's not on me as pastor to do the heavy lifting of telling God's story. Instead, God's story is told when we are faithful, when we are in tune with the Spirit, and then He does the heavy lifting. And you know, I can't tell you how many times this has been real in my own ministry, where I have preached messages that were objectively hot trash, right? That objectively, when I read through, like, I didn't use complete sentences, right? Where I was just all over the place. You could go back and you can listen. I'm like, none of that made sense. And someone will come up to me and say, Pastor Josh, that message, oh my gosh, God just spoke to me. And I'm like, what in the world are you talking about, right? How does God speak to them? Because the Holy Spirit is the one narrating God's story into their hearts. And he emphasizes the right things that they need to hear to know who their God is, how their God is for them, what their God is doing. And, and that's what happens as we read through Acts chapter 2. Paul st- or Peter starts telling the story of who this Jesus is from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as he tells the gospel, as he tells the good news of a God who loved the world so much that even if he was rejected, even if he was crucified, God twisted that, turned it to humanity's salvation. And as he tells the story, the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit narrates that story in people's lives. Oh, and uh, yeah, so anyway, he narrates this story, and then it ends with uh, the people saying in verse 37, when the people heard this, when they heard the gospel, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brother, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And what will you receive? Verses uh, 38, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Again, verbal words. For all the Lord your God will get his message, will get the narrator speaking into their life, and that narrator is going to change people. That narrator is going to invite people into God's family. Right? And with many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The Holy Spirit comes in, starts telling God's story. And as he tells God's story, it moves people. It changes people. It draws them closer. And then Peter says, and the same spirit that you're hearing now is now going to go inside you. And it's going to start renovating your hearts and your minds. And it's going to start shaping you into the story God has planned for you. But here's here's the good news. It's not just about you. Yes, you are individually saved. Yes, you are individually a member of the family of God. Amen. But you are not saved for individualism. You are not saved for isolation. Instead, you are saved and we are shaped for community, for the church. And so we do this thing called discipleship together. And that's what we start to see in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, our scripture reading today. It describes how we hear the Holy Spirit, how we engage the Spirit. 
42, I want you to just highlight this first word, they. They is a plural word. They is not he or she. They, together, as a community, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke breads in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number every day. They, 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 all together. We are shaped by the Holy Spirit in community because here's the thing. He doesn't just speak through me as pastor. He's not just speaking through you. We hear the narrator in each other's lives. We speak the narrator over each other's lives. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And so as opposed to having to be isolated, he says, no, I've built you for community. I, I, I've built you for connection. I've built you for a place to belong. Which is why this year as a staff, our big thing is creating more spaces for every single person in this church. Whether you're in pre-K, whether you're a teen, whether you're an adult, an empty nester, we want to create more places for you to belong in this congregation. Not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. We want to create more spaces for each of us to hear the Spirit to be enveloped in his community. And, and what we have in Acts chapter 2 is a description of what that looks like, how that happens. So what are the main components there? Well, the first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Christianity started and has always existed just one way. Jesus taught his disciples. He says, come follow me, and I'm going to teach you, I'm going to shape you. And then they took his teachings, and they passed it on. And then those followers took his teachings, and they passed it on. And they passed it on through parents, and through brothers, and through sisters, and they passed it on through confirmation teachers. And as we said at the beginning of the service, all those people who speak God's truth into our lives is always just one person passing it on to another. Like we say in communion, for I am passing on to you what I received. We devote ourselves to the apostles' teachings, to the original teachings of Christ, not as individuals, and this is a big one, because what will happen is if it's just about me and my Bible, if that's all I need to experience God, I have a very limited view, right? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm theologically trained, and I'm telling you, if it's just me and my Bible, I'm going to get a very limited view of the Holy Spirit. I'm only going to hear certain things that I kind of like to hear. And so I need all of you to also be walking with me, speaking God's truth in my life, saying things like the Holy Spirit doesn't have hands and feet, so he needs us. I need that to better understand what God is doing. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what is passed on to us, we, we pass on to the next generation. And to fellowship, we do this together. We do this in community. And not just, not, not just in sermons, but before and after the service and in groups and at food lots, 
they have fellowship. This is a new community where together we walk with our God. Together, we experience the body of Christ. And as it says in Romans, we rejoice with those who rejoice when things are going well, when there's graduations or there's promotions or there's successes. We get to celebrate one another. And we mourn with those who mourn. And so when the doctors don't come back with the news we were hoping for, or, or, or someone does pass from this side of eternity into the next side of eternity, or there's brokenness or there's sickness, we do that together too. That's what fellowship looks like. And to communion and prayer, to the breaking of the bread, that's shorthand for communion, we actually believe something sacred happens there. Right. But communion is one of the sacraments. Sacrament literally means a sacred moment where we believe God shows up, where we receive forgiveness of sins, where he says, in with and under this bread and this wine, I am here for you. But again, not you as an individual, y'all. Again, one day I'm going to write my own Bible and it's going to have lots of mistakes, but the one thing I'm going to get right is it's going to have the word y'all as opposed to you. Because so much of Scripture, when we see the word you, we as individuals are like, oh, God's speaking directly to me, when it's actually a second person plural. See, God died for y'all. Not just you individually. And again, that's good news because our own sinful nature distorts that. It, it changes that. And then to prayer. Okay, we see it in the Lord's Prayer, right? Does the Lord's Prayer start... My Father in heaven? No. Our Father in heaven. Does, does the Lord's Prayer ask to forgive me my sins or us our sins? Does the Lord's Prayer ask for my daily bread or our daily bread? Faith, the Holy Spirit, this thing called church, this new life, this new community God creates for us is all about the plural. Yes, God seeks us all out individually. Amen. He will leave the 99 sheep to find the one, but then he doesn't stay with the one by himself. He brings the one back to the flock. He brings the one back into community. Sin is what isolates us. Redemption, new life, brings us back into a new type of community that we get to live together. And then the last part. Verse 44, all believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and they praised God. Generosity and praise. The response moves us. To give back. And, and not just to give to a, to a church, not just to give to an organization, but to live generously in every aspect of our lives. The Holy Spirit narrated his story into their lives. And because the Holy Spirit has all the money, because the Holy Spirit has all the power, we get to live courageously generous. And that's hard. That is super countercultural. A couple of weeks ago, I was having a kind of a rough day. Rough week, really. Uh, and for me, finances are something I stress out a lot about. And uh, like a couple like things hit, we had to get new tires. Man, being an adult is just not fun, 
right? Like growing up, when I wanted to buy something, it was like, okay, I'm going to buy the new Nintendo or the new Sega. And now it's like, oh, I'm going to drop a grand on tires. Woohoo! Right? And just, just it all hit at the wrong time. And like we had the money for it, but I started worrying, do we have enough money if another hit hits? Right. And I was praying, and the relief I got was comfort from the Holy Spirit that none of it was mine anyway. It's not my car, it's his car. It's not my bank account, it's God's bank account. And yes, I'm supposed to be faithful with it, and I should be smart with it, but as long as I'm doing the best I can, God's going to continue to give me daily bread. And that may look different than I want, but the relief of knowing, you know what, it's not all on me to figure out every right move. But the Holy Spirit is the one who has the power. It's God's stuff anyway, so let me just be generous with it, and let me stop freaking out so much about it. And the relief that came with that and the praise and the thanksgiving where I literally changed from thinking it's all about me doing the best thing. To, no, this is, this is good. This is God's. And the relief that comes with that, y'all, is good news. We have a God who's calling us to new life and a new type of community. And it's communal. And the power doesn't come from me as pastor or you to be the perfect parent, but the power comes by God saying, I will send my spirit inside of you. And when we spend time in fellowship, when we're devoting ourselves to his teaching, when we're living a life of generosity and praise, and we're speaking truth over other people, and we're letting them speak truth on us as the Holy Spirit leads us, y'all, we get in tune with the Holy Spirit. And then those Instagram snapshots start to happen a little bit more often. And it's, it's not going to be continual. Y'all, it's tough out there. And there are going to be days where you do all the right things and you still end the week broken and bruised. And the good news is that you, we come back together for fellowship where God says, I'm going to meet you there. And I'm still a God of healing and I'm still in control and you're not alone. And new life is still for you. And as it says, and for your children, for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. Amen. Let's pray. God, uh, new life is exciting. Uh, Lord, uh, hearing how you move and, and how you bring new people into your community, Lord, all this stuff is rah, rah, and yet we hit real life, and, and, and we can think we're just doing it wrong. Or we do do it wrong, Lord. We let our own sinful nature separate us from community. Lord, our own our own pride or greed or anger or all the stuff that sin gets in and separates us from either you or each other, Father. Lord, when we, instead of listening to this new spirit inside of us, Lord, we listen to our old spirit, Lord, we sin. And yet, Father, Lord, the good news is the first thing your son tells his apostles is that to receive the Spirit and that their sins are forgiven. And so, Father, Lord, we receive the Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. Lord, knowing that we, like the apostles, are still misfits, and yet you are a God who specializes in misfits. And you bring new life and new authority and new joy. Lord, I pray for that type of new life for this church. Lord, that we can be devoted to your teachings and to prayer and to praise and to generosity. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen.